I'm Jeff Cohen. Jenna Mayo, host of the Modern Jewish Girl podcast, regularly shares insights with her listeners on how to live as an observant Jew in the modern world. But before she could spread Jewish wisdom to the masses, she had to go on her own journey to Jewish observance, and she's here today to share her story. Jenna, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much for having me. So I should have opened with spoiler alert that you become religious, even though that's not where your story begins, right? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. If you had told me I was going to become observant way back when, I would not have believed you. <laughs> so I think our listeners at this point know by now that our stories have this trajectory that people do end up observant, but that's not where your story begins. So why don't we take it from the top and just begin with where you were born and raised? Okay. So I was originally born in New York City, and my parents lived on the Upper West Side. And then shortly after I was born, we moved to the five towns. So my dad had grown up in the five towns in Woodmere. He went to Lawrence High School way back when. And when they moved back to raise me, the entire community had changed drastically. It became much more religious. So we actually lived in Woodmere till I was about eight years old. And then we moved because my parents felt it was too religious. <laughs> you know, they weren't sending me to yeshiva and they're like, we got to get out of here. So they went to, they moved to the town over to Hewlett, which is kind of, at least when I was growing up, it was like a secular Jewish bubble. So it was very Jewish, but secular. But so it was a very interesting upbringing because I went to public school, but I was exposed to Orthodox people in town, you know, but I didn't actually know any Orthodox people personally. Did you have a feeling about Orthodox Judaism, the fact that you were surrounded by it? It's not like you weren't interacting with anybody. So you had a feeling of maybe what they were versus what you were. What were your feelings about it? Yeah, I mean, I never really interacted with any Orthodox Jews growing up, which is bizarre, you know, given that I grew up in the five towns. You know, people are shocked when I tell them that. Honestly, I, I did have a little bit of a negative misperception, misconception. You know, I thought that Orthodox Jews were kind of like Amish people. I know that sounds bizarre, but that's really how we felt. You know, we we're just like, they're not in the modern world. They're totally archaic. Like we're not in the 1800s. Like it was like all of those kind of things. Like that's kind of how we felt, or at least how I felt when I would see Orthodox Jews in, in town. It seems like our stories started somewhat similarly because I grew up in New City, which was like steps away from Muncie. And so I was seeing this world, but it was like so foreign to me. Right. And I didn't have necessarily the best perspective or opinion about it because I really didn't know anything about it. No. Right. We just didn't know. You know, it was not a world that I was exposed to. So, um, yeah, it was all just from the outside looking in. And so what was your family doing in terms of religion? Were you part of a reformed or conservative shul? Like, what were you doing? Yeah. Yeah, we were part of a reform shul, one that my dad actually had gone to. And, you know, we had Hebrew school. And, you know, I know everyone talks about Hebrew school. They didn't like it. They didn't connect to it. I was in the same boat there. And, you know, we would have Passover Seder with family. We went to shul on, on the high holidays and we lit Hanukkah candles. That's kind of about it. No real observance of Shabbos. Definitely not kosher. It was a very reformed Jewish home, I would say. And did it culminate in the bat mitzvah? Culminate in the bat mitzvah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> the bat mitzvah, yeah, the big party. And then, you know, I kind of graduated from Judaism, as most people growing up that way feel. And I went off to college at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. And that's kind of where the Jewish journey really began for me. Did you think after the bat mitzvah, could there have been something Jewish wise that could have been introduced to you then that you would have been interested in doing? Honestly, I don't think I was in a place where I was looking to grow 
religiously or, or spiritually. I was very, I was like a child. I was immature. I've met people who say they've become religious in high school and I'm, I'm kind of blown away because that is not where I was at at that time. <laughs> you know, I think that at that age, you know, I was just very social and wanting to do what my friends were doing. And that was just like, not a cool thing to do was like to become religious. And I just wasn't there. I wasn't mature. I didn't know who I was yet. And uh, I had a lot of growing up to do. So at that point, no, um, I don't know if I could have been exposed to anything that would have really like turned me on, so to say at that point. But you know, everyone's different. It could be other people would. And then you just mentioned Emory University. So how did you pick that school? And what were you planning to study? So I don't, it's really Hashkecha Pratit, like divine providence that I ended up there. It doesn't even really make sense. A lot of New York Jews tend to go down there and it had kind of been on my mom's radar and we went to visit and it's, I don't know if you've ever been, but it's a gorgeous school. And, um, I said, yeah, I would go here. (laughs) (laughs) It's really beautiful. And so I applied and thank God I got in and, um, so I went down there, I think at that time it was like 30% Jewish or something, but mo- mostly secular Jews. I studied English and creative writing and environmental studies. How did you pick those three things? Was there something from your background that yeah. made you passionate about those topics? I've always been a writer. I, I, I wrote a book about my journey, so I've always loved to write and uh, share stories. So that was the English and creative writing piece. And then I actually got really into climate change and um, wanting to work on that issue. So that was the environmental studies piece. And my goal was to get to law school to work on climate change policy, renewable energy policy, things like that, which I actually did end up doing. I'm not pursuing that now. But um, my, my real initial passion was always and still is writing. And what about in terms of Judaism? I'm thinking back to my college days, like I joined a fraternity that had a lot of Jewish people. So there was my connection, but I wasn't doing anything in terms of observance. So what were you doing Jewish wise during the college years? I was in AFI, which was the Jewish sorority. Also, like you said, a lot of Jewish people, not a lot of Judaism going on. But, you know, people did go to Friday night dinner sometimes. Like it was cool to go to Chabad once in a while for Friday night dinner. So occasionally I would do that with some friends. But truthfully, for the first two years of college, I really was not so involved Jewishly. And I even remember when people would ask me, are you Jewish? I would answer, I'm culturally Jewish, but I'm spiritually other. And I think that was very telling of where I was at the time and also how ignorant I was of like the depth of Judaism. But um, I really began when I turned 18, when I started college, I was kind of on my own for the first time. And I really wanted to figure out like, what is truth? And I, I kind of started on this like spiritual journey of my own. And I was being influenced a lot by the classes I was taking. I was being exposed to Buddhism and meditation, and I was getting into that. And I kind of looked down on Judaism. I really didn't know much about it in in a real deep way, but I thought I did just based on my superficial exposure as a kid. And so so my, my my exposure to Judaism was very small in the first two years. And then everything changed when I made a friend who... Basically, I applied to go on a birthright trip. When I decided to go on birthright, that's when everything changed because I applied to go on this birthright trip and I actually did not get on the trip, which was bizarre. All my friends got on it. I did not. And I had another friend on campus who had gone on this Kiruv trip to Israel, run through the organization Mayor. She was raving about it. She said, you have to go on this trip. It's unbelievable. I'm going to introduce you to the rabbi. So she introduced me to Rabbi Fleschel, who is that uh, campus rabbi at Emory for Mayor. The first question he asked me was, are you committed to marrying Jewish? And I said, no, I'm not committed to marrying Jewish. You know, at this point, I've become a total universalist. We're all one. Like I was in that headspace completely. And I was actually like offended by that question. We were like arguing. He's like, okay, you can come on the trip. I was like, really? (laughs) Um, So 
it was bizarre because normally you're supposed to do this 10 week learning course to kind of prepare you for the trip. And he just let me come on the trip at that point in the semester. It was too late to do the 10 week course. So I was going on this trip cold. I really had no idea what I was about to experience. And basically the way it worked was instead of being a 10 day trip, like birthright, it was a three week trip. And in the mornings, the girls would learn at Neve, the seminary in Harnoth and the boys would learn in Yeshiva and I was doing like three hours of, at least of Torah learning a day coming from nothing, literally nothing. And the classes just blew me away completely (laughs) from the first class. And I realized very quickly that I was wrong about Judaism and that it was very deep and it had answers for basically all my questions. Obviously it took time. I still had a lot of questions and things I had to work through, but that initial feeling of, whoa, there's truth here. Like that I felt almost immediately. And at that point I was 19 years old. You said earlier in the interview that you had maybe a less than positive impression of Judaism and you were exploring other spiritual paths. Why did you want to go on Birthright or ultimately this other trip that worked out? What was drawing you to that if you didn't feel like Judaism was the answer at that point in your life? First of all, Birthright I looked at really as just a vacation with friends. It was kind of something you just did. It's like, oh yeah, free trip to Israel with friends. That sounds great. Like, But then when I had this opportunity to go on this trip, which I knew was going to be more religious, I was actually kind of intrigued because at that point, as I said, I was opening up spiritually and I was really exploring and I hadn't really felt like I found it yet, you know? So I was actually thinking, you know, let's just see like what they have to say. You know, I, I, I've been looking into all these other religions and all these other spiritual paths. Like, let's see what Judaism has to say. So I would say that I went on the trip a little bit guarded and a little bit cautious. I remember I wore this like ohm necklace, you know, but at the same time I was curious and I, I did want to hear what they had to say. And you just used this phrase, like you hadn't found it yet. So was it like a few days into the trip you thought, whoa, this might be it. Yes. It was, and it was actually a very scary thing. <laughs> very, I don't know if you had that experience, but when I, just the the mere thought that I might become an Orthodox Jew was so deeply frightening on so many levels, just because, I mean, what would my friends and family think? You know, like that was like the first wave of panic. And uh, I had a mentor on the trip and she said to me, okay, calm down. <laughs> she said, this is why we, it's good to have mentors. She said, go back to campus and just keep learning and you'll see what happens. You know, you don't have to, you're not going to like make any big changes overnight. And so that's what I did. I'm actually surprised you're saying that like a few days in, you started saying, am I going to be an Orthodox Jew? Because you could, you could be on that trip just saying, I just want to learn a lot about Judaism because I didn't get this when I was a kid. It doesn't mean I'm going to change the whole way that I'm living, but you were going so far as to say, I'm going to learn this and I might actually do this with my life. You were feeling that strongly on that trip. Yeah. I felt the Shekhinah on that trip. I felt the divine presence. It was very clear to me that there was real truth. And the implication of that was that, you know, I have to live that truth. You know, that was my whole spiritual aspiration to begin with was like, I want to live a a true life. I want to live a real life. And if this is what's true, this is what I'm going to do. I was very idealistic at the time, but, but I do it was like an intellectual honesty of like, God said to keep these commandments. And if, if I believe that this is all true, then I have to keep the commandments, you know, like I can't like hide, you know, and through my journey, I did go through times of disconnection where I did try to hide and, uh, God intervened, you know, and pulled me back. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, so I did feel there was a, a real life implication to what I was learning very strongly. There's lots of people who feel super strong while they're in Israel and they're just feeling the connection to the country, religion, et cetera. But now you come back to Emory, you're back in your sorority with all these secular Jews. So how do you keep pursuing it when you don't have the surroundings that you just had on your trip? Yeah, it was very hard. So 
basically what I took on when I got back was I started going to Friday night dinner every week, which was actually a pretty big deal because most people, as I said, did not do that. Maybe occasionally they would go, but like only the really religious kids went to Friday night dinner every week. (laughs) So I started doing that and I started learning with the rabbi Torah. Once a week, I started lighting candles. I think those were the three things. And I think I put a mezuzah on my, in my room. So those were like the main things I started doing. It was not easy. My goal was that I was going to go back to Neve on my own, but because I was so career minded, I wasn't willing to take off those summers. I needed those internships to get into law school. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go when I graduate that summer. That was two years away. So it's very hard to take the inspiration from a three week trip and stretch it for two years. <laughs> and I, to be honest, I almost didn't make it. I almost fell off. I, by the end, before I graduated my senior year, I called my parents and I told them, after telling them I'm going to Neve, I'm going to Neve, and they were like not into it. But I call and tell them, you know, I'm not going back to Neve anymore. I had just completely fallen off by the end, and they were even surprised. They're like, "You're not going back?" Because they knew I wanted it so badly. And then I kind of just fell off. And basically, what happened was, okay, at this time I was dating an atheist who was getting a PhD in philosophy. Okay, so that's kind of showing you where where my head was at. And he made it very clear that if I stayed with him, I was not going to Neve. And the relationship was pretty serious. He had plans to move to Philly to relocate to where I was going to go to law school. I mean, it was like, it was pretty intense. And every time I brought up God, he would get angry and upset. And I really had to make a decision. And I knew I needed some space from him and to kind of like think of what I really wanted. Because when you're with somebody who is an atheist and you're thinking about building a life with a person without God... I didn't know if I could do that. So anyway, spring break was coming up and he wanted me to go with him on spring break. And I said, you know what? No, I'm going to go to Florida. I'm going to go to my grandma. I'm just going to get some space. So I went down to Boca and I went to visit my grandma and I get a call while I'm down there from a friend named Cynthia, who was my friend from the trip. And now I had not seen Cynthia since the trip. It had been two years and we had lost touch. It had been like at least a year since we had spoken. She was in grad school at the time of the trip. So she was a bit older and more mature. And she also was very much connecting to the learning. And she was at the time working for the U.S. Embassy in Argentina. So she was like, I was like not in touch with her. And she thought I was at school in Atlanta. Anyway, I get a call from her out of the blue. I'm in Florida. She said, Jenna, she said, I'm sitting on the beach and your name just popped into my head. Where are you? I said, I'm in Boca. Where are you? She said, I'm in Boca. I'm leaving tomorrow. Let's have dinner tonight. I was like, whoa. Okay. So we meet for dinner that night. I catch her up on everything going on. And she says, Jenna, I'm going to Neve this summer. Come with me and be my roommate. And it was just such a light bulb moment of like, why wouldn't I go? Like I wanted to go. There was truth that I saw. I was exploring this truth. Okay. I fell off. I got a bit turned off certain things happened. But at the end of the day, I haven't fully explored this truth. And God's giving me the second chance. (laughs) Like it was very clear from the series of events. And I said, okay, I'm going to take it. So I literally the day I landed back in Atlanta, I broke up with this guy. And I booked my ticket to go back to Neve. And then I went back that summer after I graduated college. So where are you holding the day you get on the plane, Jewish-wise, and what happens over the course of time that you're there? Yeah, so the, where I'm holding is really nowhere. <laughs> I remember I showed up at Neve in like a t-shirt and pants, you know. Mm-hmm. I really was not holding at all. But over the course of, of that time, it was really transformative because my goal of that trip was like, I really wanted to make sure intellectually that I felt the Torah was true before really committing to the lifestyle. That's really where I was at at that trip. And it became apparent just from Torah learning. It was so obvious to me, like this is a divine text that 
I started taking things on slowly. And my same mentor who had helped me on my initial trip was at Neve and she helped me make a list of like must keeps kind of like a bare minimum level of observance that I was going to have when I went back. And it was actually very helpful because otherwise it can feel very overwhelming. I mean, to try to just start keeping Shabbos, I mean, Shabbos entails a lot of things, you know, not ripping toilet paper. So it's like, you have to start somewhere. So it was like, I committed to like making Kiddush, not watching TV on Shabbos, you know, like certain bare minimums. And then with skirts, that was a whole other thing. And I knew that was the direction I wanted to go in. I knew I couldn't go all the way or it wouldn't be sustainable. I had to take slow steps. You must have also been thinking at some point you're going to come back from Israel and you know historically what happened the first time you came back when you weren't surrounded by the right infrastructure to keep growing. So how are you planning for your return back after the program? It was a little bit easier this time in the sense that I wasn't going back to a college campus right away where I already had friends and they knew me as a certain person, I was kind of starting fresh because at this point I was starting law school. I went to the university of Pennsylvania. So I was going to be in Philadelphia. I was living on my own. I had a lot more freedom in that sense. And you know, Penn is actually a great campus Jewishly. They have a really strong, the student community is unbelievable. I mean, every Friday night they have like 80 kids. The Hillel is like totally thriving. I mean, thank God it's an amazing campus to be Jewishly. So I knew I was going to have that. But when I got back to New York at my parents' house, I really had no infrastructure because I, as I said, I didn't know any religious people. So I remember the first couple of Shabbats just sitting at my parents' house and those summer Shabbats are really long. <laughs> I'm just like mm-hmm. staring at the walls, like bored, bored to death. And I'm like, I have to meet some religious people. And through Hashkacha Pratit, through Divine Providence, I ended up getting a text message from a girl who I had met that summer at Neve. And she said, do you want to come to my aunt's house for breakfast? It was Tishabov. So I had barely even knew what Tishabov was at that point. But I said yes, because I was so desperate to meet people. So I ended up going and I became very close with this girl's family. I call them like my second family. They invited me for Shabbos and I started going to them for Shabbos. So slow, And they're part of the Ish Kodesh um, Shul in, in Woodmere, New York, which is very special. And so I started to build a, a support system in New York. And then once I got to Philly, I quickly became connected to the Mayor rabbi at the time there, who was Rabbi Shmulin, who now works in New York City um, doing Olami Manhattan. But um, unbelievable person and family. And I'm very close to his wife, Ruthie. And I started going to their home a lot for Shabbat, you know, also I had some modern Orthodox friends in the school. So slowly I started building up like a support system. You also mentioned those long Shabbos afternoons back with your parents. So what's happening to your relationship with them as you're starting to grow? Yeah, so it wasn't so good in the beginning. <laughs> it was really rough. They they were so upset. I mean, they, they thought I was joining a cult. They felt totally alienated. They thought they were losing their daughter. They couldn't even fathom why someone like me would want to pursue a path like this. As we'd spoken out earlier in the five towns, there unfortunately can be this kind of like us and them mentality. And it was kind of like, you're becoming one of them. Like it was like, they couldn't even believe it. So they, there was a lot of pushback in the beginning and, and fighting and telling me I was being too extreme and going too far. And it was not easy. It's crazy that we call it this us versus them. Like we're all the same religion, but somehow it doesn't always feel that way. I know. And I, I actually do think that bridge is starting to close a little bit because there have, you know, with like Momentum and, and JWRP, and there's certain organizations now that are working with Jewish, secular Jewish moms. And I think that's helped a lot to kind of bridge this gap. And I've seen it in the five towns. It's, it's, I feel like in a way it's getting better, but unfortunately a lot of the secular Jews have just moved away. It's very sad because we are one people. 
And so as you're pursuing the degree at Penn, are you also thinking about needing to get back to Israel? Because that's where it seems like the bulk of your major spiritual growth has been happening? Yes, 100%. I I always long to go back to Israel. (laughs) It's always like my status quo. I really wanted to take a gap year and and push law school off a year. And and my family was very much against it. So I came back, but I was very upset. And, you know, I would like listen to Shireem on the way to and from classes. Like I really tried. I had a chavrusa. Like I did what I could. But, you know, when you're in law school, especially that first year, it's so intense. You don't really have much time, especially if you're keeping shop. Like Shabbos was really my only time to like (laughs) plug back in, like in a real way. But yeah, I really wanted to get back to Israel. So I told my parents, you know, after law school, I'm going back. And they kept saying, okay, okay. Thinking like by the time that happened, like I wasn't going to go back. And I did manage to go here and there, like during little breaks in the summer, like a few weeks here, a few weeks there. But I really felt like I needed significant time to really deepen my learning, especially if I wanted to establish a Jewish home. Like I felt like I was catching up on like, you know, all these years of, of having gone to public school. So law school's coming to an end. All my friends are getting these like big firm jobs. And here I am longing to go back to seminary. And, uh, thank God again, it was major divine providence. You know, my, my parents were not supportive and I felt a lot of pressure because I'd just gone to Penn law and it's like, okay, like go get a job now, (laughs) like start working as a lawyer. And I felt very deeply that I wasn't ready to do that. And so Penn brought a professor in from, I believe it was Bar Ilan and she, taught about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict from a legal perspective. She was an amazing woman. And with her help, I ended up getting an internship at the Supreme Court of Israel as a foreign clerk. So I was able to do that after I graduated. That was kind of my ticket into Israel with my family's blessing because it was prestigious enough that they were supportive. And then I was also able to go to seminary. You must have been thrilled when that opportunity came through, when you had that call with your parents and you were like, you know how you said I was throwing everything away if I went back to Israel? Well, guess what? I just landed. Yeah, I I literally I remember feeling like God was splitting the sea for me because like I just didn't even see how it was possible to get there. It seemed so out of reach at the time. And then when this opportunity happened, it was like the sea split. It was unbelievable. And what happens when you go back to Israel now and you start the job? So I go back to Israel, I start the job. I was really like one of the only religious women in the court. There were some religious guys and there are a few religious justices, but it was it's a very secular atmosphere. Um, but it was a really amazing and interesting experience. And I also started learning at Madrasha Rachel, which is another seminary for Bali Shuba. And during that time, my rabbi, who I had met on the initial mayor trip, who's based in Israel, his name is Rabbi Stein, he also works at Mahon Shlomo, which is a yeshiva for Bali Tshuva based in Harnof. And he reached out and said, I have an idea for you. And he introduced me to my now husband, Justin. So we did meet that year in Israel. So let's talk about Justin for a minute, because we've talked about marriage a couple times in this interview. So the first time it came up was you telling the organizers of a trip, I'm not even sure I want to marry Jewish. Right. The next time that relationships come up, you're with an atheist. Right. So now you have... Justin come into your life. So what's his story compared to what you've said prior? So Justin had a very similar journey to me. I mean, it's almost shocking. We, we would always say we felt like we were living parallel lives on opposite coasts. He grew up in San Diego, California, um, a little more traditional background, but really pretty secular Jewish as well. And in college was really unaffiliated. When he got to law school, that's when he got involved with a, with a Jewish outreach organization called LAJ, which is, it's very similar to Mayor. It's based in LA. And he went on an Israel trip with them. And he was very interested and kept learning and growing. He was also on a spiritual path, very into meditation. 
before becoming more observant Jewishly. And uh, he also wanted to spend more time learning. So he went to law school, graduated, and then went to Mahon Shlomo. And it was during his second year there that we met. And now we have two people who are on their path to becoming observant, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, but you're in Israel. So I guess the relationship is getting more serious. You're starting to think, where would this relationship go? Yeah. So, I mean, when Rabbi Stein initially uh, floated the idea of us dating, I said, is he open to where he he lives? And really, he wanted to live in, in California. He wanted to go back. So I think it was like our seventh date. He said, you know, would you move to LA? And I had always wanted to live in California. So I said, yes. So we moved to LA. We got married in New York. We moved to LA. We lived in LA actually for five years. And then COVID and everything kind of changed and my husband was able to work remotely and and we really wanted to do Shana Rishona when we got married and again our families were so against it you have to start your lives you have to start your careers um and we felt a lot of pressure to do that so the whole time we're in LA we're like we have to get back to Israel but again it was seeming like it was never going to happen and you know we had thank god a daughter when corona happened and, and my husband could work remotely for his law firm, we said, okay, now's our chance. And we actually went to Israel for two years um, from 2020 to 2022. And then when we were in Israel, we were kind of reassessing where we, we wanted to go. And then we actually just moved to Florida this past August. That's been the journey. Wow. So he was able to work for two years, keeping his job, but in Israel and yeah. you're, I well, guess, with, with your newborn and also are you working on the side or what else are you doing? Yes. Yeah, so basically the way it worked was we kind of took a little bit of a sabbatical. He was working part-time at night for them. And then during the day he was learning in the Mir Yeshiva, which was like a dream of his. I also wanted to pursue my learning. So I was learning with Yehuda Skolshevsky also a little bit at Majar Shorachel. And at this point, our daughter was three years old. So she wasn't newborn when we went. She was three. We were mostly living off savings because it was it was like a short-term thing where we were like, this is like a dream of ours to like really deepen our learning and spend time in Israel as a mar- as a family and uh, connect to that Ruchnius and, and just kind of like boost up <laughs> to go back to America. But we knew long-term that America made more sense for us um, in terms of raising a family. And we just came back and now, and now we're here in Florida. Your parents must have realized when you marry Justin, like this religious thing is going to stick because until you get married, you you could see going off the path at some point. But now you're with someone who also wants to live that way. So it's probably going to really stick. And now you have a, a grandkid for them. Does that help repair the relationship? It does. I mean, I was just joking recently, like if we're ever having a little bit of an argument, I just point the phone toward, <laughs> toward my daughter. And then, you know, it suddenly turns to hi, you know, like completely deflect. Um, so yes, it very much does help. Um, thank God we just had a, our second child. So now we have two girls and I think my parents have a lot of nachas where a lot of their friends who are secular, their kids are not getting married till much later, maybe not having kids, you know, whatever it is. And I'm proud that they, they have nachas from us. And I think that even though they still struggle with certain things, on the whole, it's much better and they're much more accepting. And what community did you pick in Florida? There's a lot of choices down there. So we're in the we're in the community in Boca here by uh, Boca Raton Synagogue with Rabbi Goldberg, which is a very special place to be. And uh, thank God it's been very good. And I also, I said in the introduction that you have a podcast and you also referenced in the interview being an author. So let's get into that side of you as well. Yeah, we got married. We moved to LA. I, t- I took the California bar because at this point I'm thinking, you know, even if I don't want to practice, like I, I worked so hard with the education, I wanted to at least get uh, certified. So I took the California bar and when I'm waiting for the results, I felt so strongly that I had to write down my story and share it with other people because there are so many instances of divine providence. Like I saw God's hand so clearly and I just felt like there wasn't enough of 
books about people who had kind of gone through this journey. There were books about people who ran away, unfortunately, from Orthodox Judaism, people who grew up really Hasidic or, you know, had really hard upbringings and kind of ran away from their communities. I wanted to write a book, why would someone opt in, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I wrote that book and initially it was actually published in Ami magazine as like a serial. So I was from 2018 to 19. And then after that, I put it out as a book. So it's called princess without a crown returning to my Jewish roots. And, uh, you know, I've written things for Ami and, and I'm trying to get back now into, into freelance writing and then the podcast, my husband actually really encouraged me to start the podcast. Um, I just love Torah. I love learning Torah. I love sharing Torah. I like making it relatable. I like bringing it down, you know, through my own personal experiences and struggles. And so that was kind of the idea behind the podcast. And what kind of guests do you have on and what kind of things do you discuss with the guests? I try to have on guests who are either Torah educators or coming from a Torah perspective in terms of their work. Um, Just because I really wanted a Torah-based podcast. I feel like there's a lot of Jewish podcasts out there and there's a lot of um, kind of lifestyle type podcasts. And I I really wanted this to be a more Torah-based. So, you know, I've had like different coaches and different Torah teachers and things like that talking about different concepts. But yeah, on the whole, I try to keep it pretty Torah-based. I switch off between having guests and and just doing my own. When When I do my own episodes, they're much shorter. Um, I'll base it usually something on the Parsha or Chagim or or like a theme in Judaism that I want to get into a little bit. I did an episode one time on like astrology and Judaism, you know, just things like that. Um, just because I know that there are people listening who are observant, but there is also people listening who are not observant. So I kind of want to to expose them the way that I was exposed way back and give them that taste of, of what I had at Neve. You had these moments in your life before you became religious where you had a viewpoint on Orthodox Judaism, and you and I have both really acknowledged a lot of it was based on ignorance and just not knowing what we were looking at. So now you're on the other side of it. You're living in that world. Do you look back on those moments and wonder, like, it's so interesting how I viewed these things at that age when I didn't have the knowledge? Yes, 100%. Honestly, I look back and I just feel like, what a shame, you know, because I really believe that the Torah is is our inheritance as as you know, a people. And it's like having this like massive inheritance and never, never knowing about it. (laughs) Like, it's just so sad. And I look at the Torah and I'm like, the Torah is the greatest book of all time. (laughs) The depth, the wisdom. I mean, it's literally a guidebook for life. So it's like, how do you live your life without the manual? Like, what do you do? You know? And, and I feel sorry for people who are kind of on the outside looking in because I feel like it's such a privilege to be able to live a Torah life and to have access to the Torah and, and have a connection to Hashem and feel very strongly that he's here and he's with you and he loves you. And and so I look back and I kind of feel sad that I didn't I didn't grow up being taught about having a connection to Hashem and what, and what Torah is. But I'm not bitter about it. It happened the way it was meant to happen. You know, like Hashem put me in that family and this upbringing for a reason. I'm a very strong personality. So who knows what would have been if I had grown up in that world. It could be I would have tried to rebel, but it was like my own rebellion that I chose it. So that's kind of how I view it now. Last question before we close with the lightning round. You mentioned you're now in Florida, Boca Raton Synagogue. You have a young family. So what's on the horizon for you and Justin over these next, say, three to five years as you try to grow Jewish-wise? When we moved to Los Angeles, we were newly married and we kind of had the perspective of like, we needed chizuk. You know, we were going to the community because we needed to be connected. We needed to be inspired. We wanted to make sure we had a solid Jewish home. And and thank God now over the years, when we were in Israel coming back here, we were looking at it like, 
okay, we're coming to not only to receive inspiration, but also to inspire and, and to really be givers in the community and, you know, bring people in, expose them to the beauty of Shabbos and, and the beauty of Torah. And, uh, so I think that's kind of how we, we look at our avoda, our work now. Beautifully said. So let's go to the lightning round and then we'll close the interview. Are you ready? Yes. So as someone with a law degree, what is one halacha in Jewish law that you wish would find its way into the U.S. legal system? Well, that's a really good question. Um, it's a hard thing to say because I I took a religion and law class and I don't like the idea of like forcing people into behaviors generally. But I mean, I do think it would be a beautiful thing if no electronics one day a week. I think that would be that would be a good halacha to write into law. That's so funny because my, my sister who's not religious says, you know, I could put my phone down for a day if I really wanted to. I'm like, but you won't. Right. Exactly. You won't. Unless you're forced to, you won't do it. And it's it's honestly, the, we all need it now. Everyone needs it. A day off from from technology. So that, that would be my answer. The last time I was in Florida visiting my family, I was listening to the radio and they had a contest that if someone could give up their phone for 24 hours, they could like win a big prize. And I was like, <laughs> if it can be on a Saturday, I think I can win this thing. It's, it's hard for people, you know, unless you like do it and it's just part of your life and you get used to it. It's like daunting to ch- shut off your phone for 25 hours. All right. So let's change gears. We know you have a passion for the environment. So what would you say is currently the biggest threat to the environment? There's a few things. Okay. So without even getting into climate change, just the whole way that we use energy and materials as a society and the rate of consumption, that really scares me because it just feels like there's so much waste. I mean, my husband was just saying that there's an island in the ocean of plastic garbage the size of Texas. I mean, it's crazy. Like, I just feel like, you know, Hashem gave us this planet. He told us to take care of it. And I, I'm not sure that we're doing that. Plus all of the chemicals that we use that get into the environment, energy consumption, resource consumption, chemicals. I think these things are our big issues. And let's now close on a lighter note because we went from law <laughs> to the environment, like heavy topics. Very so heavy. let's close. Yeah. Let's close lighter. My family comes down to Boca all the time because we have family down there, which means there's an outside chance I could end up at your Shabbos table sometime. So what's going to be the signature dish that day? Oh, wow. Signature dish. Okay. Well, it depends if you come for dinner or for lunch. I do make chalent. So if you come for lunch, you will have chalent. <laughs> but um, for dinner, you know, we try to keep it simple. I, I don't know if I have like a signature dish, but we do always ha- try to have sourdough bread with really good dips. So that would probably be the signature Friday night. Sounds delicious. So Jenna, you are out of the lightning round. And I just want to say thank you for joining me on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much for having me. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit taklismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at taklismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.